Hello and welcome to another episode of Business and Bubble Tea. Here on the podcast today, we have with us Julian and Jube, the co-founders of Venture Education. Julian and Jube, it's an absolute pleasure to have you with us today. Great to be here. Nice to meet you all. Welcome to Business and Bubble Tea. And since today we have here both of us, um, we would like to know how did you guys meet? How did um, Adventure Adventure Education started? Dubai, do you want to start? <laughs> well, I think the Venture Adventure Education started actually after I uh, took like a late gap year and I was traveling a lot. I was traveling. I went to England for the first time. Uh, and then I also went to Europe and uh, other parts of Asia. And I think after that gap year, I was pretty sure I wanted to be doing education and kind of, you know, closing the gaps between China and the rest of the world um, for the next generation. Because prior to so that gap year, I was working for a very big company. It was uh, it was in media, it was TV, um, and we had lots of uh, joint venture projects between China and the US and some other areas. And I could see that it wasn't just the language gap; it was just the the understanding, the shared memories, the shared common sense. Um, that, that there is just a gap, and if we could work with the younger generations, then that would be really cool. And I also was really curious to find out how education could be different because I was really not a typical good student, quite the, quite the opposite. Um, so I was really keen to find someone who, you know, is the education person who understands how education runs in, in other places and also who has a bit of a rebellious spirit who, who wants to try and experiment. And then there we go. I ran into Mr. Fisher and that's how. <laughs> <laughs> So the rebellious spirit in you uh, was was channeled, Julian, or? <laughs> yeah, no, and, and it's really interesting. You know, there's that idea. I can't remember whose idea this was, you know, that you need 10,000 hours to master something. Um, in our first year, you know, we, we rented an office. How much did we pay for our office? I think it was like 3,500 quite a month. And I think for pretty much a whole year, me and Jube just sat in our office talking to each other. We didn't really make any money or, or have many projects, but I think that that was probably one of the most essential years of our entire organization. That was really where we started to understand each other. And what, I guess what did you kind of, what, what manifested after that meeting? Because now you've got venture education, like what, what kind of manifested, what was the, uh, I guess, the gap you saw, the opportunity for venture education? So we've changed a lot over the last 10 years, over the last three years, especially during COVID. I think, I think, I think really the gap um, was international education 10 years ago was booming in China. The idea of international education was booming. And I think especially among a lot of Chinese families, it was seen as this really incredible option to study overseas or to go to an international school. But the gap in terms of understanding was really enormous. I mean, in the same way that like, you know, I have a relatively limited knowledge of the Zhongkao, you know, the middle school exam in China. Likewise, you know, you had Chinese families where their kids were studying GCSEs and yet the parents couldn't speak English and had very, very limited understanding. So I think that's really what we saw then. And I think we still see now is that that ability to explain things, to be honest and authentic um, and to really care about the kids underneath everything that that was then and still is now an underlying driver of everything we do. 
what do you see as the biggest difference uh, in education in China compared to the UK, for example? I thought, Jube, I'll, I'll let you answer that first. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really hard. Um, I would say, um, I would say for what I have experienced, I mean, I would say like, you know, like education has changed for both countries in the past 30 years. You know, what I know about British education before I ever visited England, it was like, you know, Roald Dahl's book um, of how he gets bullied in school and how he gets buried under the wooden floor <laughs> in boarding school. Um, so, so, you know, <laughs> obviously, and, uh, and in, you know, how I grew up, I grew up in a small village school near my grandparents' village. You know, we had, we had pure like soil on the, on the ground in the classroom. Um, and I would say nowadays, um, you know, for both countries, like, um, I think, I think both countries are kind of exploring, like, you know, as much as you know, we think that the, the Chinese traditional education system is really rigid. Um, there also, we did a three-year project in public schools in Beijing. Um, they're really trying to explore different ways of, you know, um, fostering the new kind of generation of students. They call it the twenty-first, the twenty-first uh, century skills. Um, so there are a lot of like experiments um, around you know, how we can make students more rounded and prepared for the future. Um, and then, but obviously we see in terms of the system, that's where I always share with my Chinese families, if you want to go to the UK, there's a particular entry point that you cannot miss, right? Or multiple entry points, but there is a deadline. Um, and I would say that the biggest difference that I can see that applies probably to everyone is, um, in the UK, you have GCSE and A-levels where um, when I first heard about the system, I was thrilled because I was really bad at math. So I was like, if I was in the UK, I didn't have to do math for, for university entrance, right? But in China, you cannot escape math. <laughs> and so as a Chinese student who's really bad at math, I think that's, that's where I see the biggest difference. I think I think one thing I'll I'll just throw in there too, and 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 maybe this will be a sort of recurring theme as we speak today. But I think it's really important sometimes to understand that just because we have the same word in two languages, the meaning can be incredibly different. And you know I've been in education now in China for eighteen years, and I think one thing I've come to understand is that 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 word education means something different in every culture. And I think that's really important to understand. So, you know, it might be in education. If you say education in the UK, it's about, you know, young people. Um, it might also be some element of babysitting, you know, that like you have two working parents, you know, so there, there are different elements to that word and the kind of connotations. I think in China, there is also a kind of conformity control element. There is something there around education as a tool for the party or for the government for the society so i think just understanding those small differences is also quite important because that impacts how parents think and it impacts how young people act and think as well would you say it's to do with i guess a confucian uh, i guess appreciation for learning or, or that kind of thing or i think there's a lot of different historical trends that come through this i mean i think as well 
you know, in China, his, uh, historically, education has been social mobility. You know, right, right since the Song Dynasty, you had imperial examinations, and it meant that a farmer could become a government official. And that idea is really, really core, and it, and it always will be. You know, here, I, I have a cousin in the UK who got A's at GCSE, um, but his family felt like it really wasn't worth the effort or the, the, the commitment to do A-levels and go to university. So he got his first job when he was 17. You know, that in China is impossible. If you have a middle school kid who aces their exams, like, you know, the entire village will mortgage their houses to send them to university. So I think there is a really different perception around how important it is and how it can affect your life. I was really curious about the project you conducted, uh, you said you mentioned in, in Beijing, in a school in Beijing. Can we know a little bit more about it? What happened? How did you try to, to change this um, maybe more rigid um, aspect of the Chinese system there? Well, Julian was the, was the uh, designer of the curriculum then. Um, he was also, uh, before he starts, <laughs> he was also uh, the, the, the most impressive lesson that I, um, not, you know, we've seen was uh, when he was teaching a class of 20 kids. And uh, at the back of the class, there was about 10 uh, head teachers from the school and headmasters. Then there are also about 10 like journalists and cameramen, media around the class, taking videos and photos the whole time. And he taught a class, an hour of class. And after that, there was an old professor who was like almost 80 years old from Beijing uh, Normal University. And, and he was the professor who kind of leads and guides middle school teachers in their teaching methodology. And he spent another 40 minutes you know, commenting on how amazing that class was. And he was, it was, it was a moment that I felt really proud of my business partner. And I was also seeing that, you know, yes, we see gaps in practices, but I also see how common, the, the, the common, like, um, you know, intention between the highest, you know, teaching um, practice in, in China and the UK. And it's like, you know, for good educators, we all want the same thing. Right. It's just trying to reach there. He had a nice comment, actually, that professor. He, he we, we, we both taught the same class. It was the emperor's new clothes. So there was a Chinese teacher who taught the class. And then I taught class and we were both told to just deliver the best class we could on that story. Um, and he, he said afterwards, he said, you know, the Chinese teacher was like breathing in and the foreign teacher was like breathing out, which I thought was a really nice way way of putting it. Um, so our, our project in, in, in 30 schools was, um, it was really, really interesting, actually. And I think this, this will tell some stories within it. It was, it was entrepreneurship education. So we were teaching uh, enterprise and entrepreneurship to, to mostly high school students. There was a couple of middle school student classes in there. And it was a year long in each school, one, one and a half hours a week. Um, and, you know, that was really interesting because it was, let's say, seven years ago. And... While we were telling them, look, we're teaching entrepreneurship, because we were doing it in English, every school was like, no, no, it's just an English class. And we were like, no, 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 we're teaching entrepreneurship. So it was a really interesting idea. And it's that kind of thing, you know, does a, does a rose not smell as sweet by any other name? So in the end, we're like, sure, it's an English class. But we, were, we, we felt like what we were delivering on was enterprise and entrepreneurship. And I think it was really interesting for a lot of the students. It was the first time that we moved the seats away from being in lines into groups of four or groups of six. So just that, you know, the class, the, the space itself, and then we would stick things on the walls, have them moving around the classroom. So I think the way that we occupied the space was very, very different. 
I think obviously the content was very, very different. We did one activity where we asked students to think about where they might be in 10 years time. And a student said to me in one of those classes, like, no one's ever asked me this. No one's ever asked me to consider like where I might, who I might be. And I thought that was really, really interesting. But I think also it, it definitely also showed some of the, the challenges. While, while Jubei's right, I, you know, the education system in China is incredibly diverse, really varied. Um, we, we asked them towards the end of this, towards the end of the year to kind of do something maybe that had some social impact or could have an impact on their school or their neighborhood. And you realized that's something very, very different here in China. Civil society obviously is maybe less common than it might be in the UK. And it was harder for them. You know, if you go into the streets of Beijing and say, I want to help someone, people think you're crazy or that you're going to try and mug them or that you want something from them. So I think that was just a highlight that it's not always that students here don't want to make a difference and have an impact, but maybe some of the structures in society or some of the parameters make it a little bit harder for them to kind of go off and do something meaningful. So um, it's an ongoing thing, you know, and as Jube said, you know, you, it's, it's really important, I think, for everyone to understand, you know, the government here and schools and heads and teachers, you know, they're constantly experimenting and trying new things. But, but you know, it's a lot of change very quickly. You know, in the UK, we've been doing this kind of stuff for 100 years. Yeah, I guess and it's evolved a bit, a bit from, from, from then and, and, and gone forwards. And I guess you touched on a few, I guess, points of differentiation with, with your business and, and I guess maybe other, other institutions. Um, could you elaborate a bit more, I guess, on what differentiates um, your your business from from other institutions, and um, I guess how you how you see your role as as educators? I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in on this one. I think I think from the core of our business, a fundamental thing has been that I am British and Jubei is Chinese, and that we are fifty fifty partners in our business. And that may sound like a small thing, but I think since the beginning, that's been really important to everything we do, because it means that there is constant empathy in, in every single decision that we make as an organization. And I think, you know, especially because we focus on international education, you know, we, we have a consultancy now, we work with a lot of schools and universities and international education organizations. We always have the ability to be in the middle and talk from both perspective. Um, I think one of the earliest arguments that me and Jubei ever had, it was probably in the first year or two of our business, we had a tutoring side to our company back then. And um, Jubei came to me and said, look, these parents want this, we need to do this. And I said, the teachers that we were working with at that time who were international school teachers, I was like, well, they want this, so we should do this. And we both walked away and came back and said, this is really important. What we're doing right here is so essential because if we were to lean too much to either side, that would cause challenges for the teachers or it would cause challenges for the parents. And what we want to do is find that middle ground. So I think that kind of that split has been really important. I think the fact that we really, really care about education is important. That might sound a bit crazy given the sector that we work in, but you know, five years ago, every property company in China was trying to get into education. And that's problematic. You know, if you want to sell you know, cups or tables. Sure, I don't think you need to have too much emotion connected to it, but education is different. It's it's a sector where you need to have a sense of humanity and you need to really care about what you do. So yeah, I think I think having having a split ownership and and genuinely caring about what we do. I mean the fact we're still here after 10 years, a lot of education companies have closed over the last two years after the private education law and the double reduction. But for us this was never about 
a sector to make money in. It was about the fact that education mattered to us and it did in the beginning and it still does now. Amazing. And you, you touched on something really interesting there. And I guess a part of it was talking about how you inspire and motivate. But the fact that um, it's, it's, you know, Jubei, you're from a China background and Julian, you're from um, a UK background. Um, Julian, I want to ask you first, where did your journey with, with China begin? And then I'll ask the same one to Jubei in the reverse, as, as it were. Okay. Um, so I, um, when I was 15, I told my mother, she, she, at this point, 15, 16, you have to decide your A-levels. And I told my mother that I wanted to be Indiana Jones. Um, so I studied history and history of art. Um, and then when I went to university, I went to SOAS and UCL and I studied history of art and archaeology, still very much with the intention that I wanted to be Indiana Jones. Um, and in my second year at university, I had a professor called Craig Clunis, who is a world authority on Chinese art history. And I immediately then pivoted everything towards China just because he was such a great educator. Um, and I got funding to come to China. Um, I, this is 2001. I spent almost all the money I got on a train through Uzbekistan and Kazakhstan to China. So I, I was supposed to spend the money on my China trip, but I actually just spent it on a three-week three, three week railway trip. Uh, I got to China, and, and honestly, in 2001, China was just so buzzing with energy, and you could feel opportunity everywhere. And, that, and that's the truth. That's really what drew me in, was that energy, but the sense of possibility was electric. You know, the UK is lovely, but it's very slow moving. Um, you know, China was just so dynamic and you could feel it. And so I basically decided, right, I'm going to graduate from university and then I'm going to come back to China. So I graduated. I qualified as a teacher. I taught in London for a year and then I came back to China and I was part of the founding team of an international school here. And then I worked in that school for eight, nine years. Um, so, yeah, that was my my journey to China. And I taught history of art actually in school. And we should remember that Indiana Jones was a professor. So that, that possibility is, is still not over. Yeah, he I was. still work in education. <laughs> I can still do it. And, <laughs> and X marks a spot, right? <laughs> and, and turning to you, uh, Jubei, I guess, so, you know, you, you, you briefly mentioned a bit about your, um, I guess, perceptions of um, the UK. Where did your journey with, um, I guess with um, touching and get, getting involved in in, in UK education, um, and, and then um, you know where did that start, and where did your interest in 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 the West begin? I guess. Yeah, um, I think I guess from the very beginning, I was I'm going to go back to like when I was 11 years old. I think one of the first uh, translated uh, fiction that I read was uh, Jane Eyre and. Uh, Pride and Prejudice, you know, I don't know for those, I don't know for what reason, but those uh, two writers were really popular in China um, and it was translated and so I read it in Chinese. And so I was just really absorbed into the stories and especially Jane Eyre, like obviously the boarding school wasn't very appealing, but the whole story of, um, you know, being a teenager and at time felt like I could resonate with another soul. And so a lot of the scenes in the book um, just really stayed with me. And so I intentionally didn't really look up to see any photos or anything about modern UK before I went for the first time in 2012. Um, and when I got there and I went to the Lake District and I was just having those 
you know, scenery from Pride and Prejudice in my head. And I was like, wow, it's still the same. <laughs> you know, and then I, I was so surprised to see, like, you know, the churches. I, I went to see the, the, uh, the graveyard of uh, William Wordsworth. I was just going through the UK to those imaginary places. And I was like, this is like a fairyland. <laughs> It really started from there. And I also felt like, you know, these things are all personal, right? So the first day I got to London, um, I missed the train. I mean, it's not surprising. <laughs> and then uh, I and then I got this on a second train and I was I was informed that this is a different train company. And I, that was like, in China, you have one train company. And then, but the driver was really nice. And he said, and I said, this is my first day in the UK. Uh, I missed the train. And he was like, oh, come on, man. Do you want me to help you with your suitcase or something like that? And it was just such a warm, like, lovely um, welcome to the country. I will never forget that. Um, and I think I was just really uh, warmed by the, how, like, lovely people were. Um, it was just very lucky that, you know, everywhere I went through for the first, like, you know, my first impression of the UK is, like, people were really kind and, and nice to people who is new to the country. Um, very, very helpful. And then with education, I would say, you know, I went down the very typical tourist uh, route. I went to Cambridge, I stayed in a hostel, and then I went to, uh, to do punting. And as I was sitting on the punt and I was, and the boat was, was uh, going, uh, I remember going past Queen's College, and it was about 6 p.m. I think it just had rained and the sunset was setting on this white building and this big, like, grass, like, lawn. I think that was the moment I was like, this, this country is magical. It's so beautiful. I want to come here again. How can I come here every year? <laughs> um, not on my own expenses. And how do I make this happen? I think that was the seed planted. So it wasn't anything uh, grand or anything. Um, uh, it, it was it was purely a personal feeling of how just the, the lovely feeling, and then so that we we act, that actually led to our first summer camp uh, two years later in Cambridge, um, and then I also had the opportunity to visit some of um, the private schools in the UK, and what really kind of hit me was the pastoral care. Now, obviously, as you could tell from my previous stories, like everything I read about boarding schools were from like Jane Eyre and from um, <laughs> <Rose> right? <laughs> and so when I visited the private schools then, I was just, I fell in love. I was like, I want to come back to school again. I want to go to school here as a kid. I want to, you know, try everything like the art classes, the science classes and everything. And also... The word pastoral care was new to me, and um, and that really um, resonated. Like, and that's something I've learned, and I kind of brought back to China. And I, I think it just really um, reassured. And also about SEN, like me and Julian, he actually booked us um, a course with a professor in UCL, and we spent a day with this professor who's really who specializes in special education needs. Um, and it was just so impressive to see how much attention and then practice was being 
put to students who need support because um, at the time, I think that's very new to China and capacity wise, there just wasn't enough of that to uh, students. So there's a, there's a phrase called like the bad students where the students can't focus in class. They don't, uh, they lose their motivation or they, or they can't read, um, which means they're dyslexic, but these, these were never being brought to my attention. And so, um, so that's when I, beyond just like, you know, this place is magical and like a fairyland, but more like, okay, this is, this is really interesting. I want to learn about this. So we, we actually hired um, someone from the UK who was head of SEN in a school um, for, 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 for her life. And then we, we hired her and we brought her over to China to work with our students. And, and that's how we saw, like we, we kind of worked with the Chinese parents to understand the context where they come from, really empathize with them, support them. Instead of saying, you've done something wrong, we, we support them, we, we empathize with them. But then at the same time, we bring people who can support the children. Um, and that was kind of a lovely, yeah, a lovely project kind of. And, and, and taking this further, what do you think has been I guess the key, the keys to your success. Um, I guess you, you you mentioned Julian that you've been running this for now ten years, ten plus years. What do you think's been the key to your success um, as educators, um, both I guess with with a, with a Chinese audience um, and combining I guess um, East and West kind of backgrounds? I would I would say being human, being authentic, really kind of feeling and experiencing as a person in it. So everything that we have done successfully was because we really resonated something in there personally. I am, I'm going to say that that word success as well is also obviously a little open to interpretation. You know, it's been a tough three years for our organization. And the truth is, you know, we're not a billion dollar company. Um, and, and I think that that has always been a tension in, in education in China, but with us and our organization too, I think we've always cared about our team and, and realized that that was a community that was almost more important than anything else. Because if we had a positive community in the team, then that was obviously going to impact on every family or every student or every organization that we worked with. But, you know, that comes at a cost itself. So I think, I think we've been really successful at building a positive team. I think we've positively impacted tens of thousands of children across all the projects that we've done, but that possibly has come at some sacrifice in terms of what could have been financial success. Um, because there's always that decision to make is, do we make a little bit of extra money here or do we hire that extra person who can provide that extra support that's going to really make sure that safe, you know, children are safe and, and positive. So it is a difficult sector in that sense because there has to be humanity and you've got to constantly make difficult decisions about children and their welfare. And I guess, so we, we have time for one final question. I just wanted to ask, I guess, as, as educators in China, um, what are you seeing as emerging trends within, within the industry in, in China? So, yeah, we, we do a lot of market intelligence now and, 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 sort of provide uh, a lot of research reports and things for international international organizations on things like trends um i think at the moment it's a really confusing year 
for business generally in China, um, there's a lot of uncertainty. And, and in a way, coming out of, of zero COVID hasn't necessarily changed that uncertainty. In fact, the way we came out almost led to more uncertainty because things can change so quickly. So I think that we're all waiting for the rebound at the moment in the Chinese economy, and, and we're not sure whether it's going to, you know, is it going to come quickly? It seems not. Is it going to come at all? So I think there is a lot of uncertainty just generally about where the economy is going and that maybe it might be starting to plateau out, you know, that China kind of over the 30 years has been such extreme growth and that maybe it's going to become a little more like a lot of the other Asian tigers like South Korea or Singapore, where that growth starts to slow somewhat. Um, I think in our sector, um, it's maybe the big question in China is, is what is the commercial side of education and what is the government side of education? Obviously, there have been a lot of policies recently about protecting kind of public education in China. And so I do think there are a lot of initiatives happening there, but there may be more state led um, and there may be more looking for partnerships, you know, joint university partnerships, joint, you know, high school partnerships vocational education training programs between countries you know that these are these are opportunities in some sense but probably less commercial more just g to g um you know uh, i think within the education sector i think jubei touched on on some of those when she was talking i think things like special educational needs um sustainability outdoor education experiential education um student-centered learning i think it's as much about approach as it is about the, the area itself. And, and, and again, maybe that's the challenge for a lot of overseas education organizations who might be trying to, to grow or to enter into the Chinese market is, it, it, you can see the opportunity, right? There's what, um, 291,000 uh, students, I think in, in um, maybe I've got that number wrong. Anyway, there, there are, you know, many millions uh, of, of students here. Yeah, you know, you know and, um, that's a that there's there's huge I guess opportunity there, but then the the risk is that actually what you might be trying to implement doesn't map so neatly onto the Chinese education system, you know, and and I think that's that's the the the, the challenge is how do you find a kind of middle ground where these things can work, you know. So if you talk about something like special educational needs, there's a lot of experts in the UK really really passionate about what they do. Truthfully, you need to be speaking to families and their children in their first language when you're talking about really challenging learning difficulties. How do you then do, how do you do that? How do you transplant some of the knowledge from one country to another? How do you find ways to collaborate um, where there's a kind of sustainable model for both sides? So yeah, I think there are definitely opportunities here and there are definitely emerging trends. It's about how, how necessarily can you work internationally that, that maybe is the challenge at the moment. Amazing. Um, so that's so, so interesting. And um, uh, I think that's, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us, uh, Julian and Jubei. It's been an absolute pleasure hearing about your stories, uh, totally, both from totally different backgrounds um, and launching venture education. Uh, it's like seriously making some changes uh, in education. Um, absolute pleasure to interview both of you guys. Thank you.